Welcome to the Readings Podcast, a fortnightly celebration of books. In today's episode, Footy Banners. Lee Mayrick and Matthew Hages chat and reminisce about the bizarre traditions and idiosyncrasies that make the game of AFL uniquely ours, with a guest appearance from Melbourne's Adam Tomlinson. From the funny to the offensive, the emotional to the political, banners come in all shapes and sizes and have evolved considerably, reflecting not only a changing cultural landscape, but a changing game itself. Footy Banners, a complete run-through, is a collection of historical images, stories, and unforgettable moments to pay homage to one of our game's longest-lasting rituals. Before we start, a quick reminder. As this isn't a recording of an event held live via the internet, there has been some impact on the sound quality of the episode. And now... Here's the host of the event, Readings Marketing Assistant, Lucy Des. And now I would like to pass you on to Matt Hages and Lee Mayrick, who will be talking about their wonderful book, Footy Banners. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Lucy. You got Lee's name right. That was the that was the hardest part. <laughs> Uh, thanks, Lucy, and thanks, everyone, for joining us. Uh, yeah, it's been a whirlwind uh, last couple of weeks as we've got footy banners out there and um, been able to share the passion that Matt and I have about this topic, so it's great to be able to talk about it for a little while tonight. Just so everyone has a clear idea of uh, where we're heading, we're happy to take questions or comments at any stage throughout, so just type them in and um, we'll get to them as soon as we can. We'll run through a few of our favourite uh, stories and areas covered in the book tonight and uh, very shortly uh, we're going to be joined by Adam Tomlinson that many will know as a former Giants player and currently at the Melbourne Demons and uh, struck down with injury this season but uh, he's been good enough to give us a bit of his time tonight to give us a bit of insight from a player's point of view of how they've seen banners develop over the years. Maddie, before we get into the real meaty stuff, do you want to give everyone a bit of an idea and understanding of how we've got to where we are today with this uh, this crazy idea which started about 18 months ago? Yeah, for sure. Welcome, everyone. So, yeah, to give you some context and some of you might already know, this idea kind of blossomed as, as the best ideas do over a couple of beers at the Annandale Hotel back in God, December 2019, so um, long before COVID and, uh, you know, the world we live in now. And it kind of snowballed and, and blossomed and we've chipped away at, uh, you know, the text component, the writing and, and compiling these images and doing the research and holding these interviews. Uh, and it's been a, a big, long process and obviously first-time authors, both of us, it was kind of good to know, to experience that and understand the ins and outs of how the publication process works. And now we're at kind of the fun point of the uh, of the journey where we get to kind of chat to people like you and you've probably seen us in print and radio and, and press. Um, it's all kind of very new for me and obviously it's much more in Lee's wheelhouse than mine, um, but I'm taking it in my stride and enjoying every minute. So, yeah, thank you for joining. I think Tomo is online now as well. Just before we get to Tomo, um, do you want to tell everyone about the 75 minutes you took for one photo? Yeah, I did. I wasn't happy with the uh, the photographer that came across from you, so, so I started directing them and um, ended up going for about an hour and a half, but we got a shot in the end. It was probably the last shot he took and. I needed my daughter in the photo because, yeah, I wasn't happy with just me being featured. So we got what we wanted. Well, sweet. Um, before we get to Tomo, just a couple of quick things about the history of footy banners. For those that don't know, it started in the 1930s 
um, in suburban Melbourne with fans just hanging streamers over the end of the race, which the players entered the ground on. The races had been erected just because of a few violent incidents over the years. And from there, we've just seen the banners become this beautiful connection between the fans and their heroes pretty much. And it grew from just a few streamers to, you know, some nice signs and, you know, a bit more complicated designs through the 50s and 60s. Then it moved out from, you know, the end of the race to the boundary line and then further out and ended up as these monster things throughout the 80s and 90s. And really, they're such a visual thing. We found that everyone has a story or a memory and it was just the perfect thing to be able to wrap up and put together in a book, especially now while we're kind of at the crossroads with footy banners because of COVID's affected the, the great game of footy and who knows what it'll look like in, in the future. But, Maddie, over to you if you want to introduce our guest. Yeah, so uh, I'm sure everyone's aware of uh, Thomas and Thomas is a good mate of ours and obviously met through the Giants and he's moved on to, to new pastures in Melbourne, back in Melbourne where he um, obviously grew up and is out, unfortunately, with uh, – a knee at the moment, so he isn't playing much footy for the rest of the year, but um, we'll obviously be bouncing back strong uh, next season. So, Tomo, we'll just fire away some questions, and um, obviously you've played uh, for, God, what, how many, eight years now? Oh, uh, I've actually played, uh, this is my 10th year, Hadro. So that 10 years uh, now? Yeah. Right. Well, firstly, thanks for having me. I mean, you did half, you two have harped on about this little book for a long time now, and it's actually... Uh, Impressive to see it come to light, and I got mine in the mail a, a month and a bit ago. So um, no, it's 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 actually great, and um, obviously we're going to speak about it a little little bit more. But I ran through my first banner when I was ten years old, playing my fiftieth game at the Canterbury Cobras down here. Uh, and actually, mum and dad have got footage of it. Um, I took a good old decent run up because. Knowing my dad, it was probably stuck together too well for some little kids to get through. But no, it's, um, it's a big part of footy, and unfortunately, we don't get to see it a whole lot at the moment. But it is—it's uh, a great part of footy. Tomo's old man's a dentist, so you can imagine he's gone and got out all the like the really serious oh, no, stuff. Just, he's known as MacGyver because he can sort of just do everything. I don't know. He's a dentist, so he's a perfectionist in the way it was uh, made. We might have to follow up with uh, your mother Kay to get that vision. I should have got it because it's um it's pretty funny. I've go got, well on the I've, on the footy banners Instagram account. Um, Tom, tell us about your earliest banner memories. Um, growing up as a kid, you know, loving footy. Um, do do anything spring to mind? No, I can always remember. So I'm a massive footy head. I love footy. Uh, it's one of my earliest memories is being at the G with Dad and and watching the players run through. And I've always just wanted to run through the banner. Um. And I'd always read it and, and back in those days, I mean, obviously now we're in the in the change rooms before the game, so you don't see what they do with the banners, but usually they, they pop it up and then they put it down and flip it around and pop it up so you can see what's on both sides. Um, and then as I've come to play, you sort of, your head's in the game so much, you don't really take notice of what's said until sort of after the game when you actually see the photo of what the banner was. But no, my earlier memories is just, I, I just want to run through the banner and and. I remember back in the day, they were a little bit more, not rude, but probably um, joking than what they can be these days. But um, I suppose that's just the world that's changed in the past 20 years. Well, that's right. They've, uh, I think it's one of the things we t touch on in the book is over-regulation and controlling of that message. Now, it used to be completely run by the cheer squads and the clubs didn't have any idea what was going yeah. on, which caused a couple of issues, obviously. Uh, but these days, yeah, it's a, it's a little bit of a more strict approach, unfortunately, which takes a little bit of the uh, the fun out of it. 
Um, well, so I'm going to say a lot of the Giants banners were, were made up by us sitting on the couch and just spitting, well, what can we write this week? What's happened in the world? And um, I think Zelly had a fair bit to do with it as well. That's true. For the, yeah, for those that don't know, um, so I still write the, the Giants banners and how the process would work. It was highly scientific. I'd drive to the to the club, obviously, and think of a banner on the drive there. And most mornings, Tomo would come for a quick chat before training or probably during training sometimes. And uh, we'd just run everything past him, not just banners, but strategy and everything. He, life plans. Life plans. Um, so, Tomo, you, you said that play, a lot of players don't take notice. Um, what about milestones? Obviously, when you kind of have a little bit more uh, sense of the moment and the situation, what's kind of the feeling, you know, of your 100th game? You've played 100, think, obviously. What's the feeling? I think that they're the one, they're the times that you do actually take notice and read because a lot of the time the banner is about you. And I remember for my 50th and my 100th, it's actually time when I'm running up and you actually look at it and, and read what's what's said. I can't actually remember what was said for my 50 or 100, but I do I do know the boys um, actually make a point of, of looking about what it's going to be said. Because a lot of the time, I mean, the banners are pretty generic and it's one time where it's a bit about you. And, I mean, as players, we probably skim past the milestone games because we're so focused on the actual game itself. But it's um, it's pretty important to actually take a step back or just take that one moment and realise I've actually achieved something here that a lot of people try to and don't quite get there. So it's um, it's pretty special. Tomo, um, you're uh, in, a, in a very happy relationship with your girlfriend, but for those players who have kids, we often see them running through the banners with kids. Um, that That's, you know, oh, I'm fine with that. Some people don't really like it. Were you playing the game when um, a former teammate of yours, Tom Scully, ran through with a kid despite not having kids himself and it was like his girlfriend's stepdaughter or girlfriend's oh. niece or something? No, oh, probably. I mean, normally I run off to the side, as in like I'm on the – whenever we go through the banner, I'm always – I think we'll touch on this later. I'm in the same spot whenever I run through the banner the whole time. So I don't really get to see what's going on up at the front. But So I wouldn't put it past skulls to run through with someone's friend's kid, daughter's friend. <laughs> um, but no, I mean – Oh, there's a lot of talk at the footy club about running through the banner with kids and everyone who's got kids is like, yeah, we're all for it. And then a lot of the older players who don't have kids are like, nah, save it for your 250th. Obviously, not many people play 250 games. But I think it's a it's a pretty important gesture, especially as a young kid, especially as a three, four-year-old. Um, we, we ran through with Nathan Jones this year for his 300th and, and Remy and Bobby, his kids. And I remember the look on their face and how excited they were and at the same time how not starstruck, but I don't know, overall, like it was an amazing uh, occasion for them. Um, and I know, speaking of Bobby, who's a, a bit older and she realises what's going on about how much fun she had, I think it is great for the kids. You touched on it just before. You, you kind of referred to the fact you have the same routine every single week. Um, obviously, yeah. a chapter in the book we go into is superstition. So, obviously, you, you've had something that's just wired into you that you want to do the same thing every week. Yeah, uh, yeah. So, I, when I started, I was a, so superstitious. Uh, I'd have to put a pair of socks and shoes on. I'd go out, run a lap, um, come back in, then put my boots on, go out, run a lap, and then. Oh, I do all other sort of weird things. And then over time, I was just, it was exhausting. And to be honest, right now, I just, I go out for breakfast the day of every game just because I enjoy doing it. Um, and the food at the hotels can be pretty poor sometimes. And then, yeah, at, at the Giants and even at Melbourne now, I always run out on the left side. Um, I hate being held up. 
And so I, I run out and um, I was always next to Matty DeBall and he'd give high fives to everyone and we were always the last two to give a high five to before we'd go under the banner. Um, and that was what I did with him the whole time. And there's someone at Melbourne who's always next to me. I can't remember sort of who it is. But, um, yeah, it's funny because you're always – good friends. Everyone's in the same – areas every time they run out um i always jump over the white line i never run across always jump over it um don't know why uh but that's just how i into the game in the arena tommy talk to us about the cheer squads you've been lucky enough to play at two two clubs now um they really are the heartbeat of every club aren't they yeah people don't realize how much effort goes into footy clubs each week and a lot of the time I've gone and spoken to the, the banner makers at the footy club and, and at the same time how much effort it is, especially at the Giants. People don't realise out of the 23 rounds of the year, there's 17 away games. So there's 17 trips that they've got to organise to get there to and from um, and a lot of the time it's not easy. And for them to to be there, they, they never sort of complain. They're always so excited to be there. It's, it's a massive part of a footy club and um, I think it's it goes so far when at the end of a game for for a team to go down and actually thank the cheer squad and people don't realise this when we play footy you don't realise the amount of people you have an impact on and the cheer squad are the are the people who we have an impact on in such a great sense and they get so much enjoyment out of it it's so important to all the footy clubs definitely we touched on that in the book actually and part of the book was. The process was speaking to representatives of every single AFL club, which was arguably the most enjoyable and definitely the most time-consuming part of of what we did. Because um, as I'm sure you'd know, the cheer squad people are lovely people, but they love a chat. Very, very hard to wind them up when they when they get a roll on with their stories. And they've always got stories that go forever. They got stories about everyone and everything. And and when Toby Green did this, or when someone did this, they saw someone else down the road, and you're like, yeah, awesome. <laughs> And well, memories, they no. never forget anything either. Like they'll, they'll remember something you said no. to them once and, and, that's, and I, that's why I think we, we wanted that section in the book to give them that opportunity to, to say their piece because it is an incredible sacrifice they give up every week. It's, it's probably three, three to four hours a week and every club's different. But three to four hours a week, 20 to 30 people um, and it's all this work, all this effort, even transporting the banners to the game, you know, it takes a lot of effort. It goes up and then gone in a matter of seconds and then it's back to the same thing next week. So it's an incredible sort of process. Um, we talked about it a little bit earlier. Do, do you remember any any other players that you played with? Um, and I'll, I'll give you a prompt for one of them shortly that, that were a little bit quirkier with what they did around the banners. Obviously, Heath Shaw, a good mate of yours and of ours, um, is one in particular that's just a strange man in general. But were there any sort of players that you can kind of remember that had different quirks you want to talk to? I mean, I mean, sure is one of the blokes that we had breakfast with before every game, um, and he was similar. He just he's, he's uh, you're right, a bit of a different cat. He likes things done in a certain way. Um, will always wear his socks up. He wore his socks down when he was playing VFL, and he finally got his first game. And Mick Malthouse, who was like a father figure to him, walked up and said, "Pull your socks up. Don't ever play a game with your socks down." And then ever since, he's just said, "Pull your socks up." Um, it's uh, but I mean, off the top of my head, I mean, I mean, everyone ever watches Steve Cornelia when he crosses the white line when he he's, he um, does his little prayer and, and stuff like that. But overall, I think weird ones. I know Christian Petrarca. He reads a book 
he's got a book and he when it, before every game he just opens up to a random page of the book and we sit there laughing at him come on, what are you doing why are you reading a random page of a book um, but that's just what he does to sort of have his time out before a game send you a copy <laughs> to pass on to anybody else <laughs> I was going to say it sounds like that Nicola McDermott the high jumper from Saturday night who was there journaling um, after every jump um, Tomo, you're well known as a lover of all sports. The banners are really unique to Aussie rules. If there was another sport to take on the banner tradition, what do you think it would be and how would it work? Well, so I love cricket and I always think there's a great rivalry in cricket, especially like Australia versus India or Australia versus England, especially with the Ashes coming up. And sometimes they've got like a little, a tiny banner or something that they might run through, but it's only for the sponsors to be happy. But I would love them to have a big banner. And to have, you know, a, a cheeky jab at the opposition or whoever they're playing, like at the start of the game or, or on the last day or something like that, only because I love cricket so much. And there's always good crowds watching it. And I always think that would be pretty special. But I think sports codes wouldn't do it because AFL has it and it's so important to our code. I think NRL, similar to us, could have a pretty good, pretty good reason to have it. But um, I just love it for the fact that, you know, when Collingwood plays Carlton, both banners are having to go at each other it's nothing to do with sort of being nice to each other it's always a cheeky jab one of those things like it just also wouldn't work i think culturally can you imagine at the cricket if we had a crack at the english it'd be worldwide news you know arrogant aussies all this sort of stuff but we can get away with it in the footy for some reason yeah you're exactly right but i sort of uh, i wouldn't mind this doing it this year no that's right get a get one up what about uh looking slightly longer term um, and you can be honest here because we're we're quite honest when we get asked this question and it's come up a, a few times is what's the future of banners? Do, do you see it existing in 5, 10, 50 years? This goes hand in hand with the Thursday night teams. And for everyone listening right now, this is a tiny part of the AFL week that people look forward to and all, I don't know, everyone sort of, it gets excited Thursday night, the t- teams get read out or whatever. I think they took it away. And it didn't take long for, I don't know, the community in the AFL to go, this isn't right, we need this back. And straight away, um, it was brought back onto Thursday nights. And I don't know, I think it's one of the small things that people don't realise how important it is until it was taken. It would be taken away. And obviously, with COVID and everything that's hit, it's not there. Um, it's not as important. We had one for the Anzac Day game, um, but it's a little bit different. But I think... There's a lot of support for it. And, yeah, when it's given the green light with COVID and everything next year or in the final season, it'll be straight back and better than ever. Is that what you want to hear, Hadro? Um, no, it is. And that's our answer too is I, I think we're pretty realistic that uh, a lot of people probably don't understand the banners and they probably see it as a bit of a um, just something that happens. They probably haven't given the second thought and that's kind of how we end the book without trying to spoil the ending for people that haven't read it, is to kind of finish on, on that note that it's it's up to, to the people, um, the fans and supporters to carry the tradition because if it doesn't uh, and you start taking away these little quirks, like you said, that there's the night games and the bump and, and things like this, um, it ends up in 10, 20 years becoming a very different sport. So uh, that's kind of how well, all we want out of it is, is people just to think twice and to spare a thought for the, the time that's involved and, the you know, the, the cleverness behind it. Yeah, absolutely spot on. I think so many things in the AFL have, have uh, been spoken about and what needs to be made better or needed to be changed. And as soon as they change it, they realise, geez, how good was it actually the way it was? And um, yeah, you're spot on, Hey Joe.
Tomo, we really appreciate your time tonight and uh, I'm sure everyone joining us on the Zoom call would appreciate it as well. So um, good luck with the rest of your rehab. We can't wait to see you back out there on the field, but in the meantime, just enjoy uh, reading your copy of Footy Banners. No, thank you very much. You'll uh, see me run through a banner at the start of next year. So, But uh, thank you very much. Absolutely love you too. It's a bit, so we'll uh, obviously catch up soon. But um, for everyone who's sort of stuck in lockdown, keep reading that book. Adam Tomlinson, thanks for that. Tomo. Maddie, we've got a few questions here. I'll throw this first one to you. It's come through from Gemma. What has been the response from Cheer Squad members so far? We've had a lot of good feedback. Good question, Gemma. So um, a lot of good feedback, uh, largely positive. In fact, overwhelmingly positive. We have got a couple of um, very passionate Cheer Squad members, and they might be on the call tonight, so I've got to be careful what I say, um, who have given us some good feedback uh, and questioned why a lot of their banners um, weren't included. And that's been the hard part is it's impossible, unfortunately, to include every single banner um, across all the different clubs. And it's not just AFL, obviously. We, we focus the book on AFL, but Lee and myself were very conscious to include uh, banners from, you know, the state competitions in Tassie and uh, West Australia, South Australia. And within those state-based competitions are lots of clubs as well. And then you go another layer down to the community clubs. So uh, everyone's been really supportive. And to be honest, they've helped us uh, a lot with the promotion within their own circles. But we have had a couple of people that have, questioned why you know their favorite banner wasn't included and, and that that's been our answer essentially that unfortunately it's impossible to please everyone and then they've been really good once we've said that um we might just need to write a second book it's probably the uh, best way to solve it from eden can you give us some details on the conversation that took place at the pub when you came up with the idea how did you arrive at deciding to write a book on footy banners i'll take that one eden so the background is that we'd just kind of shared a passion for it over the years leading up to it. Um, so, yeah, we'd, we'd played local footy together. We'd worked at the same footy club. Um, Matt had written the banners for years. So it'd been that thing that whenever we'd see something funny on social media or, you know, in the paper or something, we'd just, you know, flick a photo um, and have that kind of back and forth about it. And then um, well, I was on paternity leave um, at the time. And so doing a lot of like pushing the pram just around uh, the streets. And I just remember sending Matt a text one day going, oh, I've got a, got a business idea for you, um, meaning like for him to just go and run with. And it just said, oh, you know, write a, put together a book of the best banner photos and stories and sell it. And, um, and then, yeah, we caught up for a beer a couple of weeks later and Matt's there like stressing about it and asking you like, all these questions about, oh, how would we get it out and what what size would it be and how would we get the photos? And I was like, oh, I don't know, man, it's just just an idea. And um, anyway, we I finally talked him around and off the ledge because he was stressing about this thing that hadn't even been committed to. Similar to how I was uh, with this Zoom call just before five minutes prior as well. Oh, am I wearing a shirt? Do I need to do my hair? All that sort of stuff. Yeah, so then, yeah, that, that was pretty much the conversation at the at the pub that night. Um, here we go. One from Liz. Do you guys have a favorite banner or story behind a banner? Um, Maddie, you go first with yours and then I'll, uh, I'll come in behind you. Uh, yeah, I've got several, um, but I'll, I'll try and narrow it down to one and I'll, I'll tell a serious story, Lee. Maybe if you want to think of one, that's a little bit, are you going funny, Lee? Or are you going? I, I can play serious. You go. All right. I'll tell the funny, my funny favorite banner story. Um, if you can go serious. So, this this happened and it's not in the book because we thought um we thought it was probably a little bit 
uh, inappropriate to include in the in the book, so you get in the exclusive tonight. We it was probably back in 2016. I think I think I just finished at the footy club at the Giants, and I was um, uh, obviously had moved on and, and was working at a creative agency, and and I had the luxury of sitting in the crowd and watching footy games, which was fantastic after being in the rooms and kind of you know hustling on on the ground. Um, but I was still writing the banners. So that week we were playing the Western Bulldogs, um, and anyone that's a banner fan and knows the Western Bulldogs know that. Danny McGinlay um, is a former comedian or a current comedian, and he he writes all of the dogs banners back then. So he he was getting all the media attention. He was kind of the big shot in the banner game, um, and that really annoyed me and annoyed a lot of us at the Giants. So we kind of used that game when the Giants were playing the Bulldogs as a chance to uh, get one over him. So I'd kind of prepared that banner weeks in advance, and I was very excited. I thought it was some of my best work. It said something along the lines of, um, you know, the Bulldogs are a, are a funny breed. Some things just don't matter. You don't win any footy games for what's written on your banner. Um, and I thought it was brilliant. I had it up my sleeve. And then the game arrived. Uh, and as it happens, because it was a home game for us, the opposition banner goes up first. So Danny's uh, Danny got the opportunity to have first whack at us. And then we had right of reply. And his banner went up and I was sitting in the crowd and I remember it vividly. I had a beer in hand and I was with my wife, Isabel, and um, their banner went up and it just said, get well soon, Ruffy. And I kind of stopped and I was remember like trying to analyse w- what the reference was to. Essentially, they had a player in the Bulldogs um, called um, Jordan Ruffhead, um, who was cousin of Jared Ruffhead, who played at Hawthorne. And Jared Ruffhead at the time was battling cancer and had taken time off the game um, to obviously concentrate on his health and, and make sure that he got through this thing. And I can confirm he survived. He's, he's in full recovery um, and we're very happy about that. But I, I remember vividly their banner going up first, seeing that. And then we had about two minutes uh, before our banner went up and I remember frantically handshaking, trying to, to call Lee, who I could see down on the ground, pulling his hair out and doing all this sort of stuff. Uh, and luckily, no one got a photo of the two banners side by side. Um, which was my saving grace because if I think media had got a hold of that story, it would have blown up. And ironically, um, to tie it together, we found out very, very recently, as in three weeks ago when we interviewed Danny McGinley for our podcast, um, I I told that story to him and he goes, I know. He goes, I know um, because he got wind that we were going to do that banner in the days leading up through a back channel source. So he knew that we were going to have a crack at him and he changed his banner at the last minute to take the high ground and go for the nice message, knowing that we'd look stupid. So, yeah, it was it, it's kind of opened my eyes a bit to the banner espionage that happens, but um, he's a good man and he's been really supportive of the book and we've got a chapter basically dedicated to him and, uh, yeah, the banners that he's responsible for. Matty, while we're on that, uh, you're on a roll. Amy Stedman there, her reaction to you telling that story was bloody brilliant, by the way. But, uh, <laughs> just the face plant. She's like, no, you didn't write that. That's how um, I felt as well. This is from another Amy. Matt, what is your favourite banner you've written? I imagine it's not that one you just talked about. For me, I'm going to start answering that question on your behalf. We did this thing in 2018 where every game we hit a song lyric in the in the banner um, that was reflective of where the Giants as a team or a club were at that week. So, like, when we were copping all this hate from, um, I think it was a, a player had been suspended, we rocked with a bit of Tay-Tay, just, like, shake it off. And then when we were playing Richmond, we had to do the killers with Mr Brightside because... 
uh, Jack Rewalt was just coming off that big thing. So, yeah, for me, I reckon that was uh, when you're in your best form, Maddie. But over to you, what, no, whatever was your favourite banner? The one that really stands out for me um, is obviously the grand final banner, um, 2019. Uh, 100,000 people there at the MCG, um, drastically outnumbered the Giants were and, uh, you know, odds completely against us and the result, um, you know, showed that as well, unfortunately. But that, I think, was the kind of the, the banner that sticks out for me because I remember being in, God, I don't even know what the tiers are, but tier two up in the nosebleeds kind of watching, you know, ready for the for the players to run out. Um, and I reached for my phone, the banner went up knowing that I was, you know, going to capture that. And it was one of those serendipitous moments where everyone around me reached for their phone as well and were capturing that exact same moment. And so that for me was the kind of, oh, wow, this is this is pretty special. I've written a banner for grand final day. Um, and uh, obviously Adam was playing that game. So I, I felt, uh, you know, I obviously had just as much um, responsibility for the result as the players. And unfortunately, it didn't go our way. <laughs> Well, I think the Giants also broke new ground that day by having hunters and collectors referenced on one side and the rapper Drake referenced on the other. So that was probably the highlight of the day before it went downhill. Um, just jump into another question here from Stan, which has asked, was there a particular banner incident or situation you came across in your research that was memorable but didn't make the book? So... A quick shout-out to uh, the wonderful team at Simon & Schuster, including Emma, who has done a power of work getting this book to where it is at this stage. Um, the chapter called Banner Scandals, if Emma had her way, it wouldn't have existed, okay? It was it was just too, too uh, close to the edge for her liking in parts, but we managed to talk around it and uh, convince her that it was an important um uh, lesson in uh, the cultural history of our country. Um, but Stan, to answer your question, one that was left out, a lot of people are probably aware of it, but no, it doesn't feature in the book, is one that Fitzroy did in the 80s. So Fitzroy were playing the Geelong Cats. I'm not even comfortable saying or reading it out on this forum, but if you want, just go and um, type in funny banners, Fitzroy Geelong, and I'm sure Google will do the rest. But um that's probably the only one I can think of that uh, was of that kind of ilk that we left out. Maddie, what about this question here? From the idea of the book and the very first steps taken to putting it into motion until publishing, how long did it take? 18 months, I think. We, we took some, um, some time and it all kind of blurs into one big, long process, to be honest. Um, I think that probably the longest gap was at the very beginning when we pulled together a bit of a presentation, which we obviously ran the, the team through basically just pitching our, our lives away, hoping that we'd uh, get some support. And, and luckily, the, the, like Lee said, the team have been fantastic throughout the whole process and really guided us as first-time authors. But, um, yeah, it's a, it was a really good learning experience. I think we, the writing part of it was actually quite quick. Um, I, I think I took a week off work and, and wrote basically 8,000 words, 9,000 words in that week. Um, but the research phase is, is, was just incredibly um time intensive um a lot of time on the phone a lot of time ringing people hoping to get contacts hoping to get passed on to someone who then might you know put this idea in front of someone else so it was a lot of waiting and, and um you know hoping that people would do us favors and they, and they did and then probably i think legally agree the hardest part was the probably the compiling of the images mm. you know from all different sources and then negotiating different deals and, and the rights to purchase those images um, and again, we were, we were, you know, over our head at some stages and, and luckily we had the team to kind of help us. But now, um, I think this is the fun part where we're, we're, you know, 
pressure's off. We've hit all our deadlines. The book's been printed. We haven't spotted any spelling mistakes, which is good so far. Um, and and that was what the main thing I was worried about. And now we're kind of just having fun um, speaking to you know people like yourselves and and doing as much media as we can to get the uh, the word out there. Yeah, just further to what Maddie was saying, um, the images was so labour intensive, and I didn't probably um, consider how much so that would be. And partly, probably, you know, Matt and I probably felt like we're flying a bit blind when you, know, you look at it, it's a beautiful finished product and Meng, the designer, did a, a fantastic job, but we couldn't visualise what we wanted, so we couldn't really brief it in. It was kind of flying blind about, oh, yeah, well, we've got these 10 photos, but how big are you going to run them? Like is that going to impact how many run and things like that? So we went through all these different processes and finally got the the um, images we wanted in there. But um, one funny story just about images, um, it, and it probably ties in with one of the stories I'm proudest of having in the book. It's actually not a very well-known story, but um, a lot of footy fans would be aware of the Michael Long, Damien Monkhorst um, incident in 1995 that led the AFL to introduce the Racial Vilification Act, which just this week has become very newsworthy again. But, um, yeah, obviously that that incident between Monkhorst and Long took place on Anzac Day. It was the first ever Anzac Day game. So that's late April. The next time those two teams met, Essen and Collingwood, it's always a big contest. It's a big day at the, the MCG in August of that year. So three three months later, pretty much, um, the Collingwood teams run onto the ground through a banner that said, sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me. And there's an image of a baby's um, dummy uh, on it in the colours of Essendon. Um, black and red. So pretty much saying, you know, hey, Michael Long, toughen up. You should be able to be fine with whatever names we call you. Um, I'm not going to repeat what he was called three months earlier, but it's led to one of the, you know, the greatest bits of legislation in the game around the, the Racial Vilification Act. So when I stumbled across the photo, I was like, how does no one know about this? Or, you know, it hasn't got the coverage it deserves. And we dug around and found some really interesting newspaper articles from that time where journalists had been scathing of the club for letting this banner be shown and that the um, president at the time should stand down. And then finding the photo um, in high res, which you need for this kind of thing, is was really hard work. And at the end of the day, the photographer who had taken the photo had, was working for a photo agency who had been sold once and then sold again to this global conglomerate called Getty. Um, but Getty, through their wisdom, had saved, put all the, the hard copies of the photos that they didn't need very often, like this one. They were storing it in their global headquarters in London. And because of COVID and the restrictions, they couldn't go in and actually access this hard copy of the photo we needed. So all we could find was this tiny little you know, low-resolution photo that the size of it in the book is as big as we're allowed or, or able to, to print because it just doesn't um, exist in higher quality. So it was an important photo to put in there to show the, the cultural change in the country over the last 25 years. There's obviously an incident still and, and has been highlighted by Collingwood earlier this year and the Crows this uh, last week. But, yeah, for me, that was a pretty important story to include in there. Maddie, you, you actually put a chapter in there about building a banner. Making Can you banner. talk a bit about 
making that? There might be some people in this call that might one day want to make a banner. Um, it's a very, very long and complicated process, so much so that it was, um, I, I spoke with a lovely lady and she might be on the call maybe, um, uh, Suzanne, who's basically the Melbourne Cheer Squad banner president. Um, and it was so complicated, it was impossible for me to comprehend over the phone the steps needed. So I kind of had to stop her halfway through and say, look, you're going to have to email me a step-by-step guide here because it is so crazy how um, important those steps are because if, if you miss a step or you do something wrong, uh, often that leads to what we see, you know, on the fails footage where you have kids running and planting their face through it and getting stuck and tangled. Um, so it's really important. Yeah, yeah. if anyone does want to make a banner, you, you read that section carefully. Have you ever run through one, Lee, in your junior, senior's career? Well, it might have um, growing up. I reckon maybe my 100th game back playing junior footy in Perth. Um, Maddie, we are out of time soon. One thing you haven't mentioned is the Kevin Bartlett story. Mm. Um, do you want to give a quick summary of that? And if anyone is interested in that story, Wednesday's podcast this week is dedicated to uh, the Kevin Bartlett mystery around his 400th banner. So feel free to uh, yeah tune in to that when it drops on Wednesday. Yeah, I'll do my best to give a quick rundown. So maybe just give me the wind-up, Lee, if I'm going too long. But uh, the book itself is obviously a features book, so it's it's story-based. There's not too many news hooks, um, and we were conscious of that, that obviously we, we don't want it to be a hard read, and, and we know that, you know, Bannon News is, you know, doesn't come along every day. But there's this one story we came across that has not been told, uh, you know, well anywhere else. And so we kind of jumped at the opportunity to include that as kind of our uh, marquee chapter of the book. It's it's the one with, that has the most space. And basically the story goes, um, and it's, there's a famous photo of Kevin Bartlett, who's a 400-game player for Richmond, um, face-planting to his 400th banner. And he was the first player at the time to ever play 400 games. So if you think of how huge that moment is in the context of the sport, um, and then stuffing up literally before the first bounce, uh, it was kind of frozen in time. So we've included those photos in the book. But the story that we love about it is... Uh, the chain of events that led to that moment and then the impact that had on banners uh, forever further. So we interviewed David Norman and he kind of tells the story that um, they wanted to break the record for the biggest ever banner. And, and so they knew in the weeks leading up that it was getting closer and closer to this 400th game. But the problem was uh, you couldn't physically buy wooden poles big enough to break the record. So the biggest you could buy poles back then, I think, was something like 23 foot um, seven meter poles and it was impossible to find anywhere else to get bigger so what the cheer squad did was they had a contact at a lumber yard um, and they specifically got a tree cut down milled for the occasion so that they could uh you know drill these holes and, and make the, this wooden planks big enough to hold the banner um so what they did was because they were breaking the record they then did a photo shoot in the, photo shoot in the lead up and as they were entering you know the ground for this photo shoot a couple of days prior because the poles were so heavy, they were dropped and placed down and there was a little crack that was heard. And we're hearing a story from David Norman. He talks of the fact that he blew up and he was really worried, all this sort of stuff, but they fixed it up with some glue and some tape. Um, they put it up that day for the photo shoot and went fine. Um, fast forward a couple of days to the actual match and, you know, the best laid plans, as usually happens, is when the banner was going up, bang, again, cracked to the, to the pole, came crashing down, uh, they had about 20 minutes before the players ran out. So back then the banners went up early. So they sprinted back to Punt Road, which is about 500 metres up the road to retrieve like a, a spare pole, much smaller pole, sprinted back, did their works. Everyone was panicking. 
and they got it up just in time. So Bartlett was running onto the ground and there's no footage side by side, but the banner went up just as he was running out. But because the poles were different in size, it meant that the, the, the crepe that was at the bottom of the banner was basically draped on the floor. So as you see him run out, he actually breaks through the banner completely fine, but it was the unevenness of the crepe that caught his foot and caused him to tumble. And he bounced back up and they lost the game and all that sort of stuff. And, and that was kind of the story. And, and, and not many people then know what happened following that. So basically the kid that dropped the pole originally and is responsible for this, you know, this big stuff up, this historic stuff up. Um, he told his dad about it, said, I feel terrible. We've got to do something for this cheer squad, for the club. I've let everyone down. And his dad had an idea and got on the phone to a mate of his in Sydney who made or manufactured aluminium poles for yachts, you know, the, the, the masks that, that yachts use, and said, look, we need some help. These wooden poles keep breaking. What can you do for us? And then within a couple of weeks, these big, poles you know masks that, that yachts use were shipped down to melbourne and that then has changed the course of history and now all you see used are these big you know aluminium poles because of that event and because it's not wood they're obviously adjustable so kevin bartler went on to play 403 games three more games than that famous record and his 403rd banner was 10 meters tall so three meters bigger than any other banner and I just love that story because it's one of those sliding door moments that if one thing had not happened, it wouldn't have led to another, which wouldn't have led to another. And I think because of that, we saw banners in the 80s and early 90s that were absolutely monstrous. Um, and once they started getting too bigger, the AFL got involved and stripped it right back. So if that bloke didn't drop that pole at the very beginning, uh, who knows where we could have been today. Banners could have phased out and might have never grown to the heights that they did. So. That's in the book. I've given away the whole story. I was kind of going to give you a taste, but um, it, it was an interesting one. He's a character, David Norman. He, he tells that story very passionately. And so, yeah, we were privileged to include it. Maddie, mate, you're, uh, you're a passionate man about that one. I love it. Um, Lucy, just before we wrap up, I just want to, you know, we've probably spent too much time talking about the old days and the VFL and, and all those games when um, there's also a you know, really nice chapter in the book talking about the game changes and, you know, those that have moved the game forward in recent years and a big part of that is um, the AFLW competition, which has only been around for five years but has gone from strength to strength in that time and seen some amazing banners um, in that period, including Carlton's first game where it said game changes and it's just gone on to be their moniker over the last five years. Um, you know, I've also seen footy clubs using their banners for good. Melbourne, um, where Tomo plays, have run through banners, you know, with all these mean tweets on it as a way of, you know, breaking through and trying to, um, you know, shine a light on cyberbullying and the impact it has. And I've also seen um, clubs like Geelong really use their platform for good and highlight racism um, and try and stamp that out um, using their spotlight, knowing that hundreds of thousands of people are watching the game. So that's probably all from from Matt and I, Lucy. Um that was wonderful. On behalf of Readings and um, Simon and Schuster, I'd like to thank everyone for coming. What a great conversation. I do have a recording if you did miss any or if you'd like to pass it on to friends and family, um, just send me an email to the one that I've sent through with the link. Have a wonderful evening, everyone. Stay safe and stay warm. Thanks. Bye. Thanks, all. Thanks, guys. Cheers. You can stream previous episodes of the Readings podcast on our website, where you'll also find all kinds of bookish recommendations, 
plenty of great books, music, film, and TV. You can also sign up to eNews or to receive our free monthly print newsletter, The Readings Monthly. Production for this podcast was by me, Nico Callaghan. The show's music is by Tom Hoskins. All of our podcasts are recorded and produced on the lands of the Kulin Nation. We respectfully acknowledge the traditional owners of this land and that sovereignty was never ceded.